you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to bring this podcast episode to you today. Thank you for listening in if you are a regular listener. And if not, I hope you enjoy today's episode and decide to subscribe to our channel. As always, please, if you love what you hear, subscribe, uh, leave me a review. That would be awesome so that we can actually get this podcast out to more. Um, If you have got any suggestions, if you'd love to be on the podcast, make sure you drop me a line at janine at janinegarner.com.au. And um, I look forward to hearing your thoughts, your comments, your insight. Now, today's episode, um, I'm so honored to actually have the chance, the opportunity to share uh, my guest with you today and her story. My guest today is Nikki Shah. Now, Nikki has such an incredible backstory. She's almost got two phases of her life, uh, the before her business life and the now business life. She is the founder and CEO of My Muse. Uh, you'll have to listen to this episode to find out what My Muse is all about, because really it's that first phase of her life that uh, really started the creation of what has become a fast-growing organization, an award-winning organization that is Nikki's purpose in life and actually so important for so many people around the planet. She is unstoppable. Some people would see her life as being one full of tragedy, but Nikki has actually turned every chapter of her life so far into something that has become truly amazing. And this is why I'm honored to share her story with you. She has an energy and presence that stops anyone in their tracks. And if I'm honest, I had to pull out the handkerchiefs a few times during this interview. So uh, buckle up. This is one not to be missed. Please enjoy this episode with the incredible and inspiring Nikki Shah. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Nikki Shah, it is wonderful to welcome you. How are you today? I'm good, Janine. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, I, I cannot wait for this conversation. Um, you know, there's there's so much to you. Um you have definitely had lived a life well lived so far already. And the work that you do is so important. I can't wait to share your story with our listeners. So let's let's get straight into it. Um, just tell us a little bit about you, Nikki. Talk, talk to me about, let's go way back. Let's go way back, go right back to the beginning. You know, how, how do you think your childhood, how you grew up, has actually shaped who you are. Where did you actually grow up? Yeah, so um, I'm a fellow Yorkshire girl. So grew yeah. up in, in Huddersfield um, in West Yorkshire in England. And um, yeah, my both my parents moved over from Kenya and I was born in Huddersfield and grew up there. And it was an interesting place to grow up. Um, Janine, I know that you're from close mm. by and 
it was I went to a private girls school there um and I was kind of one of the only people that was of a race um of any kind of different color and so I stood out straight away from from the go of me walking into that school for the first day wearing this hideous school uniform and it was yeah I felt that from the start I always had a couple of challenges like I've had times in my life where I was in junior school I actually got bullied by a school teacher and that was a really difficult moment in my life and just even having it hang on hang on hang on (laughs) school teacher bullied you what what was all that about what happened I just got picked on in class um constantly and I think initially as any probably you know young child does you just think that it's just part of being at school and growing up and I just realized that it was happening to me all the time and it was never happening to any of the other kids and told my mum about it and my mum was such an amazing person that you know she listened to me and she actually was just like there's something going on here and this isn't right and I think we actually went to go and see my family doctor and my family doctor was even like okay there's something up here and I ended up actually having to move schools um, when I was nine years old, which is a bit of a weird time to be moving schools and making new friends, etc. But yeah, it just showed from the start of, you know, me being a very young child, the support that my parents gave me and always listened to, you know, what was going on for me, etc. and things like that. And it meant that, yeah, I changed schools and um, went to another school, which was great. Um, actually went to the same school as my brother and so big sister little brother were able to be at the same school together Um, and then that was when that kind of like spouted off my tennis so we went to tennis on Wednesday afternoons with school and started to really enjoy it and we told my mum that be something that I kind of wouldn't mind like taking up a little bit and having some lessons and she thought that that would be a good idea this was along with me many people don't know this this is one of my hidden secrets but at the same time I was doing synchronized swimming um Uh I can't believe so it's tennis or synchronized swimming (laughs) yeah yeah literally I got told at one point by my tennis coach that I had to decide between synchronized swimming or tennis because as you know being a sports mum um sport takes up a lot of time and so I just wasn't able to keep both of them up and decided to continue on the tennis and yeah then that led to some interesting paths in my life where I ended up um, moving to Florida at the age of 15 um, on my own and going to a tennis academy over there and studying while playing five hours of tennis every day um, which definitely gave me some tools in my box that I didn't have before um, playing that amount of tennis and being around going from a tennis club where I was one of the top tennis players in the country to then moving to a school where there was kids from all over the world being the best in their country kind of just made you realize that you were that small little you know small little person in a big in a big sea of other tennis players so yeah it was definitely a challenge (laughs) Can what do you think you know just even and you were only what 15 16 at that time so up until that age you'd already experienced a move at the age of nine from a school after experiencing bullying and bullying from a teacher from a grown-up so you'd move schools you grew up in an area um where 
at that time, I'm imagining it was quite unusual and different to have two Kenyan parents. I don't imagine that there was lots of you in Huddersfield with Kenyan parents who experienced that. Then moving to Florida at the age of 15 and once again um, at such a young age, as you said, being a small fish in a big pond with with the talent that you had. What do you think those those early years um, or how do you think those early year, years started shaping this incredible woman that you've become? <laughs> I'd probably say that I realized very early on that life wasn't a breeze. Um, there's always going to be things that are thrown at you and you can either step back and just, you know, not, not learn anything from it or you can actually take them and, and, and drive with it. Um, I, you know, there were heaps of challenges like being 15, you know, I miss my, I miss my family. I miss my friends. Mm. It was, you know, before the days of, you know, FaceTime and all of that kind of stuff. Like you literally have to sit by a corded phone and wait for your parents to call. Um, and so just having that challenge of kind of being on your own, um, you know, like as much as I had the support of the school and we had house parents, et cetera, and things like that, I wasn't completely left on my own. It was that challenge that you were, you were there on your own. You were, when you went to tennis tournaments, et cetera, like you had to be your own cheerleader. Um, mm. and you had to, you had to just know that you had to be there for yourself and believe in yourself. Um, you know, there were many times where, I could have just stepped back and just been like, okay, I give up. Like, this is too hard. And Mm. I think it was the fact that I never did. I just, I kept on going and I kept on pushing myself um, with the constant support of my parents behind me, which was, I'm so grateful for, Um, you know, I've, I've had two parents that have just always been behind me. That's just meant that I have just constantly pushed myself. And I think that's demonstrated in so many things that I've done in my life since then. Mm. because tennis wasn't meant to be was it you you had quite a major injury which actually meant how old were you when that happened so I was 19 when I had that injury um while Mm. I was actually playing tennis yeah I'd had knee pain for quite a while and they couldn't determine what it was um so at 19 once again you had to change things what talk, talk to us about what happened and what you had to do yeah, so at 19, I was on a tennis scholarship at a university, um, was going to, you know, go through the American college system. It's kind of like all that, you know, the dream of just doing that and wearing the college shirt, et cetera, and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I had this massive injury and my surgeon pretty much told me that I could attempt to get back into tennis again and get back to the level that I was, which he thought was going to be pretty hard for me. Um, but by the age of 30, I was probably going to need to have a knee replacement. So at the age of 19, I had to make a big decision as to continuing on the dream that I had or flipping things over again and deciding on something new. So during that time and during my, my rehab, um, I had an amazing physio and I was asking way too many questions um, as to everything that he was doing to help me with my rehab recovery and he just threw a comment at me, just being like, why don't you just become a physio? And I ended up becoming a physio. <laughs> and not just any old physio. You went into 
looking after a rugby team, right? A rugby league I team, was it? Did, yeah. So I was very, very fortunate that um, after finishing university, I'd been volunteering at a rugby team, which was Huddersfield Giants um, rugby league team. And they um, offered me a full-time role as um, one of their first team physios, which was amazing and kind of one of those dream jobs that when you're at uni, you're always told, you know, if you want to be a sports physio, this isn't the place for you. Like everybody wants to be a sports physio and there's only a certain amount of people that get it. It takes about 10 years to get there. And I ended up landing it as my first job, which was amazing. Um, I must admit that when the first time I went onto that rugby pitch, I'd actually never watched a game of rugby league in my life before, (laughs) which also meant um, that I had never been in a male locker room. I played tennis all this time before where, you know, we wear crisp, crisp white shirts and clean trainers and rocking up into a men's rugby league locker room was a bit of a shock to me. <laughs> Let alone the smell, right? I know oh my, my gosh. <laughs> it was it's atrocious. <laughs> but it's quite, yeah, it, it's, it's quite confronting, I can imagine. Um, so, so you did that and uh, how did you end up in Australia? Um, so I moved to London after a number of years working for the rugby team and was working as a physio in London. And um, I actually met one of my good Australian friends who randomly just invited me to come over to Perth for um, a couple of weeks because it was his 21st birthday. So I kind of just was like, I've never been to Australia before. Why don't I just go? You know, I'll come for a couple of weeks. And so I did. I came over here on holiday. Um, did the whole thing of going to Perth, but also going to Melbourne and Sydney and up to Brisbane and ended up extending my stay three times, um, which I'm sure I think I've heard quite a few English people do. Um, I Mm. did eventually have to go back to England because I needed to get back to work. Um, But I had that moment that, I don't know, it feels like it was like a movie moment where I was going for a jog in Hyde Park in London and it was February, it was freezing cold, there were no leaves on the trees, and I just stopped running and just looked around and went, why am I here? Why am I not living in Australia? And so I decided to go on a little bit of a mission and look at the opportunities to move to Australia, so applied to do my master's in Sydney and in Melbourne and got accepted, so that was my my stop moment in Hyde Park in London. My goodness. So there's almost like two phases to to you, your life and your work. So this first phase was, you know, one of uh, constant challenge almost and facing your own fears and courageously doing things different to other 15-year-olds going to Florida to do tennis. Uh, then, you know, having to reinvent yourself once again uh, through the study, the physio, then the sports physio, and then arriving in Australia to to go into a world of recruitment. If you think about that phase of your life, what what did all of that teach you, do you think? Um, I think one thing it did teach me is that I had a lot more skills than what I thought I did. Um, Obviously, you know, I went to uni and I did my physio degree, which was a pretty challenging degree. 
But with everything else in my life, I started to pick up on the fact that there were so many other skills that I actually had and that I developed throughout the time as well. And so I had a pretty three-dimensional way of being able to look at things and the way of being able to deal with things as well. And it just meant that, I don't know, I kind of, you know, I, I think that a lot of parents have like bring their children up to be like, you can do anything and you can be anything. And I really think that that sunk in with me, with what my parents said to me of just like, you really can be anything and you can do anything. And I've definitely not let anything stop for me along the way. Um, I think that every opportunity that I've had and every job that I've had has definitely been a stepping stone for me to get to where I am now. Um, But it's not that I look at any job that I've had or any part of my life and regret any of it, because I do really think that all of those things have shaped me into the person I am now. Yeah. You you just mentioned there a 3D way of dealing with things. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? Um, I think I just, I don't look at things in, in just one way. I will always look at a problem or look at the way that something's done as just a, a different way of looking at it. So I, I won't just look at it from my perspective, but I'll also look at it from other people's perspectives. I'll also look at it from, um, yeah, just, just different perspectives and different ways that, that it can be viewed. And it just, I think it just means that I, you know, it's like knowing that your opinion or your thoughts aren't the only thoughts that are out there. There's so many people that have different opinions and different thoughts and different lives that have got them mm. to where they are. And so um, I just, yeah, it's kind of a thing that I feel that I have a visual of it whenever I'm thinking about something or thinking about an idea that it's not just a flat square that I'm looking at. I've got to look at every different side of it, mm. every different side of the cube and actually just figure things out. Yeah. And interestingly, that then sort of leads me <laughs> onto this phase two of you. Like it's, and, and I'll let you you share with our listeners, um, you know, that 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 almost big watershed moment that happened for you um, here in Sydney that has led you on the path right now. And equally, the curiosity I have around this 3D way of dealing thing, with things, how that's helped you start really creating this next phase can you can you just share what happened next and this this watershed moment that's taken you to now sure so apologies if I actually tear up a little bit now but it still still gets to me um but I uh, I met my partner here a number of years ago and um you know we were we were best friends we were soulmates and there was one day where I was at work um, just looking out of the window and get a phone call from him because he'd been having some knee pain and he told me on the phone call that he had cancer. Um, He had osteosarcoma, which is cancer of the bone and very, very rare for an adult to get. And it ended up that um, we had a year and a half of treatments and surgeries, et cetera, and things like that. And I I was his main carer as well as working full time. Um, then following that, he had, um, two months where he was in the clear and he was told that everything had gone. And then following that two weeks after my birthday, um, he was told that it had come back and it was terminal and there was nothing that they could do. Um, on the 16th of January, 2018, um, 2019 apologies, he passed away. 
Um, he was just about to turn 33 and that was probably, and you can tell that I'm already tearing up. Um, that was probably the moment that, that changed, it changed my life forever. Um, I decided that I needed to have, and I wanted to have a lot more purpose in my life. Um, as much as I loved certain aspects of recruitment, I knew that it wasn't the thing that was going to be fulfilling me for, it wasn't going to be filling my tank up. Um, I'd had such a interesting journey during the time that he had had the cancer in terms of conversations that I'd had with people, with friends, with family, with colleagues, um, with my bosses and the support, um, which was really, really sparse, um, amongst many people that were in my life. Um, along with along with my work and that's what ended up leading me to start my muse which I launched in October 2019. So let's just talk a little bit about my muse you touched on it there but I just want to go go back over it so you know like so many people how many people now are have some contact with cancer what are the current stats Nikki? So the stats are one in two Australians will be diagnosed with cancer by the age of 85, um, which is a really scary statistic when you actually think about it. Um, There's not many people in this country that don't know somebody that has been diagnosed with cancer. Um, So whether it's that you are diagnosed with cancer yourself or you know somebody or you're a carer for somebody with cancer, everybody's going to be affected by cancer in one way or another over here. Um, which is just something that is so crazy when we actually don't have that much focus on it. You know, I know that there's daffodil day and all of those kind of things, but in terms of the actual conversations around cancer, like we did, we just don't cover it. We don't, I don't think many people out there are very comfortable if they were told that they or someone that they loved, um, that was close to them was diagnosed with cancer. That's, you know, what, how does the conversation go? Mm. And and that's what you experienced, didn't you? So at the age of 30, I think you said you were, um, you found yourself as the primary carer for your partner and navigating not only trying to look after him, the system, but also maintain, hold down the job and do all that day stuff. Um, how did how did you find that whole process? I think you said it, it just was sparse. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And therefore, you know what what is the the vision of my muse? Why why is my muse, which is your business now, what is its purpose? Yeah. So in terms of how how I felt when everything was going on, I felt lonely, and I know that Mike, my partner, felt exactly the same as well. Um, it just, it's a lonely journey. And as much as you've got people around you, you might have friends around you. uh, It's those 2am in the morning thoughts and feelings that you have that, you know, there's no one there to comfort you during those times. And um, the whole vision about my muse is that we want to be able to make it that these tough conversations within workplaces are not tough conversations anymore. Um, So we just want to be able to have organisations around Australia and New Zealand um, where we as a team with My Muse go in and we work with 
the company, their culture, their support system, um, the policies they already have in place and train their managers, their leaders, um, or their entire teams and companies on how to be able to deal with cancer in the workplace um, before it actually happens. So we bring a proactive solution. So we make it that people have an understanding about what cancer does and how it actually, how you can support it in the workplace. Um, so I've built a team of psychologists, oncologists, HR, legal policy writers, and palliative care oncologists. And we go into organizations and we develop workshops with them as to how to be able to deal with those really difficult conversations Um as well as providing one-on-one consulting for if any companies actually have anything happening at the moment. And it's the way that I like to demonstrate it is if we think about where mental health was 10 years ago, it was a conversation that was not had in the workplace. It was a taboo subject to bring up. And if somebody was going through any personal issues, then it was something that was done behind closed doors. And if you look how far mental health has come now, it's just, it's staggering, you know, even in terms of the support that the government is now bringing to the table to support mental health, it's come such a long way within 10 years. And the statistics there are one in five um, Australians will be diagnosed with a mental health um, illness. And so this has got even higher statistics and we're still not doing anything about it. Um, I found that when I was going through my journey, there was booklets that were out there that um, that ca- that cancer charities had produced that were very generic, and they were like sixty pages long of you sitting there and them talking about if you're going to have a conversation with your boss, make sure that you have it in a meeting room. And it was, it just wasn't practical solutions for actually things that were going to happen. Um, And so instead of it being in a booklet form and instead of it being a generic booklet or generic information, we decided to be the first organisation in Australia to do what we're doing and to make this a a workshop, make it something that companies can actually sign up to and have something that they can, they feel that they're working towards that can help their employer, their employees, sorry. And have you, what What are you starting to notice with those companies that are forward thinking, that are open to conversation with you, that are starting to engage you? What, have, what changes have you noticed um, as a result of the work that you do? I think it's the conversations that the companies have then been able to have um, within their organisations. And we've had companies come back to us and tell us that after they've actually run the workshops and made people aware of what they've, you know, what, what they've been doing, um, they've actually had people come and approach them that they had no idea had gone through a cancer journey six months ago or you know have been caring for one of their parents that's currently got cancer or um they said that it allowed them to have this this conversation that people just felt uncomfortable about before because they felt that they weren't going to be supported they felt that they one of the things that um the feedback that we've got from a lot of people that have been employees of companies is that it's allowed them to feel supported in the sense that they people were worried that 
they weren't going to get that promotion or that pay rise because of the diagnosis that they'd had. And, you know, there's, I, I guess there's a twofold way of looking at that, that, that somebody could look at that and just go, well, you know, they're going through this treatment and it's, it's important to give them then time to recover, et cetera, and things like that. But work is, work is a purpose for so many of us. It is so much more than just a salary It's so much more than that paycheck in your bank account every single month. Like it, you know, it's, um, it gives you that sense of purpose, but it also gives you that sense of society. It gives you that sense of so many other things. And to take that away from somebody or to make them feel like it potentially could be taken away from them when they've just had this life diagnosis that, you know, they've, they've got something going on in their body that they've got no control over. Um, mm. They have to hand that over to the doctors to control and look after all of that. So this allows that individual to at least have some kind of control over what's going on in their work life, which is so important to so many people that we speak to. Um, it, it helps them get up every single day. And if it wasn't for work, they so many of them say, well, I'd just stay in bed because there's no other reason to get out. Mm. Mm. And, you know, obviously Mike um, and his, his death as a result of cancer triggered this this need and this business that you've created, My Muse, which is now starting to get some incredible momentum and accolades for the work that you're doing. So congratulations on building something that is both going from strength to strength, but also something that is so important in this world that we're living in now. Looking back, Nikki, of, you know, that nine-year-old that moves school after being bullied um, to then moving to another country at the age of 15 with a dream of becoming a tennis player, to then having that major injury, which meant that you had to stop that dream and then go and start studying again, to then, you know, going into sports psychology, to then coming here. You know, what is it about you, do you think, that that has combined to create this 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 now purposeful work that you're doing? What keeps you going? I think the main thing that keeps me going is knowing that what I'm doing now with my muse is actually making a difference in the world. And it's actually making a difference in the way that companies are looking at things. Um, mm-hmm. Cancer's affected me in many ways. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Mike passed away from cancer and last year, my mum passed away from cancer as well, um, very suddenly. And so it's something that has, that has touched my life more times than I'd like to actually admit. Um, mm. And I've seen plenty of people around me. I've seen friends and how it's affected them. And I think it is just knowing, um, you know, I, I can remember having the interview for when I was doing my physio degree and them asking me, why do you want to become a physio? And my answer was that I want to help people. And I just feel that through every aspect of my life and everything that I've done, since doing that physio degree, um, I've always been helping people in one way or another. And this is just another avenue of helping somebody. I get up every single day and absolutely love what I do. I love talking to people and talking to companies and showing them that they can do things differently. And actually making a difference in people's lives is just, it's something that, yeah, like, 
you know, un- unless you're in that position and you're in that situation, it's really hard to explain the feeling that that it has of um, changing an individual's life into something and just allowing them to have that support while they're going through something so traumatic. Um, and, you know, as I said at the start of the interview, everything that I've done in my life seems to have led me along this path. It seems to have been this stepping stone um, to what I'm doing now. And it's just the the aspects of, you know, being a physio and having the empathy and having the listening skills, et cetera, and thinking on the spot um, of being a sports physio to, yeah, working in recruitment and having that jigsaw and fixing all the pieces together um, to what I do now. Like they, the, the skills that have gone through each of those, each of those roles into, into what I have become um, with my muse, I must admit that I didn't ever think um, if you'd asked me 10 years ago that I was going to be the founder and the CEO of my own company um, and be walking into ASX listed buildings and pitching an idea to them and being nominated for awards. Like this is not something that I, mm-hmm. I thought I'd be doing. And I'm so grateful and so proud of where I've become, you know, the, the team that is behind me at my muse is just amazing. Like they're people that have backed me from the start as well. And, and it's just great. It's just, it's been a journey that has, it's just, it seems like it's just, it's been a crazy journey. Um, and I think anyone that has their own business will know that you end up, you end up realizing that you have skills that you never thought you did. Mm. Um, in terms of like just doing coding skills for a website, you, had. you know, <laughs> suddenly I'm just like, Oh, okay, I can do this. Um, yeah. but it's, it's great. It also shows that you can do anything. Um, and you know, and I'm, I, I'd love that that's something that I'm able to, to bring out in, in any person, um, around me is just letting them know that, yeah, if you've got a dream, just go for it. Like mm-hmm. there's going to be bumps along the way. That's the way our life goes. Um, but yeah, you can, you can get there and you can achieve stuff and it's, sometimes yeah you know the vision that I had when like you said I was that tennis player at the age of 15 um arriving at school in Florida to what I am now is very different but in each of these points of my life I've challenged myself and I think that's something that I'll never stop doing um you know, you know me very well in the sense that I've definitely challenged myself doing car rallies in the outback, et cetera, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I want to keep on being that person, um, and keep on learning, learning new skills and learning how to do, how to do, how to do life. And I think that's what's so inspiring about you learning how to do life. You, you mentioned there that, you know, Mike, died in May, uh, January 2019. Uh, I know it's still raw and you quickly jumped past it, but your mum died last year and she died in the year that is COVID back in the UK and you were unable to go back there and, and you still kept going. You still kept believing. You still kept the purpose at its core of why you're doing what you're doing through all that pain, through all that heartache, through all that grief. Um, and you mentioned it there, the the determination to serve other people 
is the thing that drives you. What, Nikki? What What is your vision for my muse? If If I could be your fairy godmother, um, <laughs> what do you see my muse becoming? You'd be a pretty good fairy godmother, Janine. I've got to say, I could imagine you with the wings and the magic wand. <laughs> um, I. I, the vision that I have for my muse is that I want to have the majority of companies in Australia um, have our program running um, through their organisation um, to make the conversation a conversation that is a conversation that we can all have, um, to make it at the same level that mental health is in organisations now. Like we all need to be having this conversation and we all need to be having that support when we need to be able to have that support within businesses um and for businesses to to realize that this is this is a big thing and with them you know understanding and with them signing up to programs like ourselves is that it can make a huge impact on your workforce but also in terms of keeping people in their jobs um retention rates etc and things like that so in terms of return on return on investment it's it's huge um and yeah you know it's kind of one of those things that I just I want to conquer the world and I want to make this a I want to make this a thing you know the reason that I called my muse my muse is because um I felt at the time that Mike would always be my muse but now I also feel that my mum is part of that solution as well and you know my mum will always be my muse and every time that I look at my company logo um every time that I talk about the company that's the two people that I picture that are stood there watching everything that I do and just backing everything I do and it's just a, it's a really important topic it's a really important thing that we all need to be having we all need to be talking about and even if it's not something that you know is that happens within the workplace it's something that the things that we teach in the workshops and with everything that we do can also translate into personal life and so if you have a friend or a family member that's going through things you can actually take away you know take away parts of what we teach and it can help you in that way as well. So it's something that can actually translate between work and personal life, which is really important as well. Nikki, Apologies does it have crying. to just be Australia? <laughs> no, it's okay. Is, it, it, does it have to just be Australia or is there a need for this globally? Is there a business like yours that exists globally or is this something that you could support globally? Um there are some organizations that um the, there's a charity in the UK that does a similar type of a, a similar kind of program um to what we do um and in America there is a company um that does some some of the work but they don't actually cover all the things that we do um so there are people out there but that doesn't mean that we couldn't you know look at working in the rest of the world um Mm. there's plenty of companies out there that do do the same thing and you can still work in the same place um so yeah like you know there there is an opportunity to to work around the world and we would love that um at the moment we have been focusing on australia because that is where the knowledge and the contacts and the team are based currently um but there is a huge potential for growth and there is a mm. lot of interest in terms of um, investors, et cetera, that, that 
are looking at our company. So mm-hmm. that could also mean that, you know, there'd be the opportunity, um, yeah, to look at, to look at things overseas, which would be really exciting. Um, mm. I think I had such a focus on Australia initially, but, and, you know, I think it's also important to get it right in, in one country before, yeah, like throwing it out to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so at the moment we have been concentrating on Australia and New Zealand, but it is definitely something that we would talk to any company around the world. Um, and we have, you know, I have been having meetings with um, potential consultants around the world as well. So there is that opportunity. Um, we have been working with a couple of companies that have got head offices in the US. So, um, you know, there is that opportunity to be working with with the head offices for those companies as well. Nikki, this this podcast is is all about unleashing brilliance. It's all about people finding their purpose stepping into their power, um, really becoming the person that deep down they know that they either want to become or the person that they know they have to become. And I think that you as an individual epitomize everything that is connected with that message. And let's see if I can actually say this without myself getting emotional, but if I if I were fortunate enough, lucky enough to have met Mike and met your mom. If I was a magician and I could bring them on this podcast right now, and I'm sure they are up there listening together, I reckon they are probably hugging each other dearly, looking at you and so inspired by not only the woman that you are becoming, but also the business that you are creating that has at its core an absolute desire to support and help so many people. And I also think they'd look down on you and literally put their arms around you and just say how incredibly proud and inspired they are for your strength, for your courage, for your determination, for your heart, for your soul, for your vulnerability. And, um, And I'm grateful that you're part of my world and I'm grateful to be supporting you on this journey. So I have no idea what you look like at the other end of this microphone. (laughs) I've got tears streaming down my face. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I'm just going to wrap this up for you. Um, I would, if anybody out there wants to get in touch with Nikki Shah, the business is My Muse. You can find her on LinkedIn. Um, she is an incredible woman that this planet has been gifted. And thanks to Mike and thanks to your mom and her love of life, um, they've put somebody right at the helm of this business that is going to make such an incredible difference in so many people's lives. So I just want to thank you, Nikki, and keep being brilliant. Thank you so much, Janine, and I'm sure I will be speaking to you very soon. Absolutely. You take care. Thank you so much. I'll speak soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.